to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 19th of January 2014, entitled, Dying a Fool's Death, Part 1. And the Bible reading is taken from 2 Samuel, Chapter 3, Verses 23 to 34. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, I'd like you to uh, open your Bibles for our scripture reading this morning to uh, the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 3. You know, I, well, I hope I don't, but I wonder, you know, if uh, I would ever cease to be just totally amazed at God's Word um, and uh, how that God speaks to us through His Word. And uh, I guess that as we look into this portion of Scripture here this morning, my original direction was totally different something else in mind. I'm completely convinced that uh, God had a specific reason for this message today because it's one of those times that He just bore down on me and He said, no, all that work you've done on that other sermon, it'll wait. Uh, this is where that, uh, that you need to be and where you want to go. And so we're going to look here this morning, and I'm going to begin by reading this passage I'm going to invite you to stand with me if you would like to honor the reading of God's holy, precious, wonderful Word. Uh, beginning in 2 Samuel chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse uh, 23, and we'll read down through verse 34. When Joab and all the hosts that was with him were come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king. And he has sent him away, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab came to the king and said, What hast thou done? Behold, Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away, and he is quite gone? Thou knowest, Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee, and to know thy going out and thy coming in, and to know all that thou doest. When Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of Sarah, but David knew it not. When Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel his brother. And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house, and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel at Gibeon in the battle. David said to Joab, to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you with sackcloth and mourn before Abner. And King David himself followed the bear. They buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. The king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. Father, we thank you this morning. 
We thank you for the time that we have. We thank you for your word that's before us. But we fully recognize, Lord, that with all the prayer and preparation that's gone before, right now, Father, we are so very dependent upon you. We do pray, Lord, you know the hearts of everyone that was here. Lord, you know exactly who would be here. You know every individual that would ever listen to this sermon. And Father, you undoubtedly burdened our heart with us. So we pray today that you would take and use it for your glory, that you would empower it, that you would speak to heart the words that you would have spoken, and we will give you all the praise for it. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, as we said earlier, amongst our church family, we have seemingly faced a lot of death lately. And as we mentioned earlier during our prayer time that... uh, uh, at least four families that have had deaths in them within literally the past, uh, uh, three of them within the past week and one just a couple weeks prior to that. And of course, it's a time that naturally brings with it sorrow and pain at the loss of people that we love and people that we, that we care for. Typically during these times, emotions are just all over the place. We think of happy memories, and it'll bring a smile, and we rejoice in those, and we think of the loss, and there's sorrow, and, and emotions are just up and down, and, and of course, one of the difficult things is, is that the more we love, the greater the loss. The more that we love, the greater the pain, but we wouldn't trade that away not to have known that love and for that person not to have have been a part of our lives. There would be something wrong if we weren't affected. And though people are affected in different ways, we're all affected by the death of those that we know. Well, my prayer today, certainly as we're preparing these thoughts, is first of all is that I can remind you and offer you some hope for those that you have lost, for those that have, have gone before you, but at the same time, challenge you as never before concerning your own destiny, your own death. You see, death is simply a reality that we all must face. It's not one of the easiest things to get up and preach about, I assure you. The Bible tells us a very well-known verse in Hebrews 9, 27, and it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You see, everyone, it is appointed unto men once to die. We all have an appointment, and there is only one way that you can cut short that appointment And that's if the trumpet sounds, as we were singing about earlier, and the Lord returns. Otherwise, if he delays, every one of us here, regardless of how young or how old, we have that appointment. But you know, the thing that often plays one of the biggest roles in our emotions at the time of a death is the matter that follows it is appointed unto man wants to die when it says, but after this, the judgment. You see, we will miss those that we love. There will be a void, an empty place in our lives. There's no question about that. But so many times then the question is, but what about them? You see, 
according to Scripture, death is certain and judgment is certain. The question so often is, which judgment will they be at? That's tough. And I know that it is. And I can't change that and I can't do anything about that and that's the way that life is. So how do we deal with it? How do we deal with our emotions and our thoughts and all that goes on when we lose somebody that's dear to us? I shared during the prayer time earlier, and one of the things that we need to recognize and realize is that, you know, first of all, how do we deal with it? We can sum that up in one simple word, and that's hope. Hope. A hope that is truly only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you take Jesus Christ out of it, there is no hope. As I stated earlier, though, sometimes, sometimes it's easier, this part of it. When the person that we've lost, when they've had a, a clear profession of faith, when they have lived a life that, though if we've been close, we will have seen shortcomings and failings, but we know that they love the Lord. They know that they had their faith in Jesus, that they were trying to live their life accordingly. You see, this is why the Bible talks about it at a time like that, then we can, we can actually rejoice in the knowledge of knowing where they are, that they're there in the presence of Christ, that they're there with their loved ones that have gone on before them that also had their faith in Christ. You see, for the Christian, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We will still miss those that we love. There will still be a void. But when we have the hope in knowing that they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we have a hope also that if we share in that same faith of seeing them again one day. But sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes it's downright hard and it's very difficult when it's somebody that we care for and we simply don't have that confidence that they have a faith in Jesus Christ. You say, well, where can we find hope in a case like that, how can we literally sometimes keep from going out of our minds when somebody that we care about and they've left and we don't know that they knew Christ? Most of us have lost people that we cared about in that situation. But you know, the hope is still found in exactly the same place. The hope is in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only place that there's any hope for anybody that's left. You see, Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. He said, so as much as in me is, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also 
to the Greek. You see, the hope is still in Christ. The hope is in the fact that the gospel is what has the power to save. The thief on the cross did not have the opportunity to do anything except trust in Jesus Christ that was dying on the cross next to him. He didn't have the opportunity to do any good works. He didn't have the opportunity to follow the Lord in anything else. The hope was in the gospel because before he left this world, he cried out to that holy God for forgiveness. You see, we don't know anybody's heart. And it's a difficult thing. It's, it's much easier for us when somebody leaves and we know that they claim to have that faith. But it's harder when they're not. But you know what's the hardest of all? Paul said there, I'm ready to preach the gospel because it is the power of God into salvation. You see, when someone dies that never knew the gospel, that's when it's the hardest. If someone dies that we knew that we never took the opportunity to give them the gospel, that's what the heart is because our hope is in Jesus Christ and what he did. And you and I can't make that decision for anybody else. But you see, what I want to remind you this morning is where the gospel is present, there is always hope. That's the power of salvation. It just takes that individual calling out from their hearts. The only time that all hope is lost is when there's no gospel present. And so we can find hope. We can find that hope whether we know it or not. You see, you can't do anything. But if you want to put it in a positive, you can do absolutely nothing about the death of another. You can do absolutely nothing about the choices that that person has made. You can, however, find hope in the gospel if it's been presented. You can do nothing about you facing death. That will come. You have an appointment. It is appointed unto men once to die. But you can do something about your next appointment following death. After this, the judgment. What kind of hope would you leave behind for your loved ones if you left this world today? Will it be easy or hard for them to find the hope that they need to be able to face the absence of you? that they loved. Well, you know, it would be a very foolish thing indeed not to consider those appointments. It would be very foolish not to recognize that, you know, when we have important dates, we write them down or we put them in our tablets or we do whatever we do to, to keep up with where we're supposed to be when, we put them down because we've got to be there and some of those appointments are important. Some are not as important. I think maybe an appointment with death would be a pretty important one. And I can assure you, you won't miss it. 
not to consider it would be a pretty foolish thing. To recognize we have an appointment, we will stand before God one day with our life. It would be a very foolish thing not to consider that. I read this story about a king that he had all of his worldly goods. He had everything that he could possibly afford. But the thing that he, that he really wanted that he didn't have was he wanted to be able to laugh. He had all these goods, but he had no joy. So once while he was being entertained by a jester, he came along wishing to join in the, the festival of the activities and also wishing to perform for him. Well, that opportunity came, and it was the best thing that this king had ever seen. I mean, he just laughed and laughed and laughed. He had never laughed so hard in all of his life. Once the activity was over, the king actually went to the jester and wanted to hire him. He wanted to keep him his, his personal jester. He wanted to just keep this person around him all the time so that he could continue to make him laugh. Once he was hired, the king, in sort of his own humor, handed him a small stick one day and he said, you are the most foolish man alive. When you find someone more foolish than you, then you give this stick to them. The king laughed. He just thought it was so funny. Well, after many years had passed and the king lay sick on his deathbed ready to, to go at any moment, he called for his jester. He wanted to laugh one more time before he died. When the jester was through, he asked to speak to the king personally. Once alone with the king, the jester asked him, he said, King, where are you going? The king responded, on a, on a far journey. The jester asked him again, well, how do you plan to get there? The king responded, I, I don't really know. At that point, the jester pulled the stick from his back pocket and he handed it to the king. The king was stunned and he asked why he had given him the stick. The jester replied this, he said, king, Today I have found a more foolish man than I. Well, you see, I only trifle with the things of life, but you've trifled with the things of eternity. Not to consider, not to consider that appointment with death and that appointment that follows that is a very foolish thing. Well, if we look into God's Word today in the Scriptures that we read, you know, as we find that the book of 1 Samuel comes to a close, it closes with the death of King Saul. And so as we begin reading in 1 Samuel chapter 1, the first thing that we find there is David hearing the news about Saul and Jonathan's death and him mourning those deaths, and that's what's covered through chapter 1. In chapter 2 then, we find that the kingdom of Israel is divided. David is anointed as king over the tribe of Judah. And Ishbosheth, Saul's son, he ascends the throne 
as king over the other 11 tribes of Israel. Abner, that we read about in our reading, he's the general of Ishbosheth's armies of the 11 tribes. Joab, he's the general of David's armies from the tribe of Judah. Well, naturally, civil war breaks out again between, uh, between the two sides. And during some of the fighting, Joab's brother is killed by Abner. Now, in fact, as we read, it was in self-defense. Abner kept trying to get him to go away, but Joab's brother kept following him and kept following, and he kept following him as he was leaving the battle until finally, in self-defense, he had to slay this brother. The battles continue to rage there, and David's men, under Joab's command, they're much more successful. As a matter of fact, as you read through there, you'll find that David and his armies only lost 10 total, including the brother that was killed of Joab's. Whereas Ishbosheth had lost some 360 in the same battle. We find as we get into chapter 3 where we took our reading that this war is continuing. David is growing stronger as Ishbosheth is growing weaker. Abner, I'm not sure that it was really done with maybe the greatest character in the world. I think as we read about this man, there was probably more the fact that he wanted to be on the winning side and he could see the writing on the wall. And so he decides that he's going to desert Ishbosheth and he's going to go across and he's going to join David's side. Well, as he goes and he meets with, talks with David, he promises that he will deliver all of the armies of Ishbosheth into his hands. David agrees, but he puts one stipulation on it. He says, we will do this if you will bring Micah to me. Now, Micah was David's first wife. She was the daughter of Saul. But when David and Saul had split during the battles, Saul had actually taken Micah and give her to somebody else in marriage. But David said, if you bring back my wife to me, and he goes through all the dowry he'd paid for and all these things that she'd been taken from him wrongly. And so, okay, Abner agrees to, uh, to do this, and he goes back, and Ishbosheth agrees to it. So Abner comes back, and he brings Micah to, to David. And when he comes back, David prepares a big feast for them and everything. But now Joab at this time was out fighting some more battles, and when he gets back and all the armies are together there, he's not really happy about the whole situation. And that's where we find ourselves in our reading today as we see in chapter 3, verse 23, that Joab, and all the hosts that was with him were come. The thing is, they told Joab, saying, Abner the son of Ner came to the king, and he has sent him away. He came. They had this big feast. And yes, now David has sent him away, and he's going to go back, and he's going to come back, and he's going to bring all these things. And what really happens is that Joab gets pretty upset over all this. He comes to him and says in verse 24, And Joab came to the king, What hast thou done? 
Abner came unto thee. Why is it that thou hast sent him away? In other words, why didn't you kill the guy? Why is it that you've sent him away and he's quite gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, that he came here to deceive you. He came here to spy. He wanted to see your ingoings and your outgoings and what was going on because he's got something up his sleeve. You can't trust this guy. And then he comes straight out from the king. And as he comes out from the king, we find that he's the one actually that's got something up his sleeve. He comes out and he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the wall of Sarah, but David knew it not. This was all behind the king's back. He comes out, he knows what he's done, and he sends his messengers to get Abner back here. Notice that in verse 27, and when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Got him back, took him alongside the gate, down into the shadows there, whatever. And he stabs him under the fifth rib. And he kills him. The Bible says, and after when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord. We're not responsible for this. The responsibility lies on Joab. And of course, we find that this is exactly what David is lamenting and then they bring him to bury him, and it's there at the graveside that we find these words in verse 33 and 34. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Our hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters. As a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. You see, David asked this question, did Abner die as a fool dies? Did, did Abner die a fool's death? What does he mean by that? Well, was his death foolishness? Was it senselessness? Why was David asking this question, and what does it mean? to die a fool's death. We all know that we've got that appointment. Well, what was it about Abner's, Abner's death that made such a question be asked? What was it about Abner's death that made it a fool's death? Well, I think the first thing that we see that made it a fool's death was, oh, the deception. That was what was taking place there that we read about in, in verses 24 to, to 26. He was deceived. Joab, he was accusing Abner of the deception while it was really he himself that was being deceptive to the king. Then there in verse 27, we see his deceptiveness played out with Abner. Abner came back as he was called for, and when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died. Joab was being all nice, talking to him all sweet and quiet, but the whole time 
His plan was to destroy him. The whole time, he planned to kill him. Now, you need to remember something. These guys were enemies with each other. I mean, Abner really should have known better in the first place. Joab was the commander of the opposing armies. They'd been fighting each other on the battlefields for years. Abner had killed Joab's brother. Even though it was in battle, it was by his own hand that he took this guy that's sweetly, quietly trying to lead him down by the gate there. This guy, I murdered his brother. Abner's life, in essence, belonged to Joab because of Asahel's blood. You could say that under the law, Joab had just as surely a death warrant as one could have been written out on paper for Abner's life because under the law, Abner's life belonged to Joab because of the blood that he had shed for his brother. It was allowed. This guy, it wouldn't, he wouldn't be breaking any law. This same guy that's whispering sweet nothings in my ear and quietly trying to get me to, to go down here into the shadows. This guy, he has all the power in the world to take my life if he so chooses. I wonder as I, as I read through that and you begin to try to picture this scene that's going on, and yet, does any of that sound familiar? You see, Satan, we know, is the great deceiver, just as Joab was being here. He is the commander of the opposing forces, folks. He's the enemy. No matter what he promises, no matter what that he says that he's going to do, no matter who he's made those promises to, he is the enemy. He commands those forces. Now, you may not have physically murdered anybody as Abner had, but under God's law, because of your sin and your breaking his law, you are under the penalty of death. Why do we all have that appointment with death? Because of sin. It was only when sin entered in that death entered in. Because of sin, your life as an unbeliever belongs to Satan. He holds the death warrant for your life. Death is the only penalty that comes from sin. You can count on the fact that Satan wants to enforce that death warrant on you ASAP. He wants to be able to do it before anything can be done about it. You see, as we look at this dying a fool's death, Abner died a fool's death because of deception. He, he was keeping company with the enemy. That enemy was deceiving him, yes. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, well, 
Are we keeping company with the enemy? Are we listening to his sweet nothings? Is he trying to tell us that all is well and things are good and he's not going to hurt us and this is not going to hurt us and that's not going to hurt us and he's trying to lead us away from the gate? Abner was listening to those whispers that were nothing but deceptive lies. I wonder, are you listening to any of the deceptive lies of Satan? He'll whisper all kinds of sweet things in your ear, just as Joab was doing with Abner there by the gate. Abner actually allowed the enemy to lead him down a path that, oh, you know, he thought it was for something good, but there was never anything waiting at the end of that path except destruction. That was all Joab ever had planned. He didn't plan to do anything good for this guy. He was whispering in his ear. He was leading him down this pathway so that he could destroy it. I wonder, you have to consider, today, are you keeping company with the enemy? Are you listening to the deceptive lies? Are you being led down a, a similar path that Abner was? You know, even Joab had help. You read back in verse 30, so Joab and, oh, Abishai, his brother, slew Abner. <laughs> even he had help. You see, Satan uses all kind of help a lot of times. If the company that you keep, if it isn't being led by God, it is being led by your worst enemy. No question about it. If they would entice you in any way away from the things of God, they're simply working as the agents of Satan. And we don't have time, but we have all kinds of illustrations in Scripture. I mean, look at Job's friends. They really thought they even convinced themselves that they were doing him a favor and they were telling him all these reasons. They were trying him to get to believe something that was totally untrue, even though they believed it. It was like, you see, everybody's not trying to destroy your life intentionally. Satan uses agents that don't even know that they're being used. Peter certainly didn't know he was being used when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. What about the prodigal son? You know, when he left his father's home and he went out there and, oh, he had all these friends as long as he was partying up. But folks, those friends in the end, they let him no more except out there to the pigsty, wallowing with the hogs, eating the leftovers that the pigs wouldn't eat. That was always at the end of that road. But that's not... That's not what he was told. That's not what he was shown. Abner died a fool's death because he allowed himself to be deceived from somebody that he knew was his enemy. Deception. Deception caused his death to be a fool's death, but not only deception. May I say to you that his death was a fool's death 
because of some other things that you're going to have to come back tonight to hear. (laughs) My time is gone. But the truth is this, and I'm just simply putting it as simple as I know how. If you care about anything, let yourself wake up and realize none of us can do anything about death. We all have an appointment. We don't need to fear it. We need to respect it and understand what it's all about. We need to know that it's coming. And none of us here today, regardless of our age, we don't know from the youngest to the oldest, death is coming. But after death, if we care about anything, we need to make preparations because once death comes knocking, We can't make any more preparations after that. They've already been made. The appointment is sure. Will we be standing at the judgment seat of Christ, (laughs) thanking God for all of his wonderful blessings and being there with him forever? Or will, will we be at that great white throne of judgment when we know that the judgment has already been made I'm just saying, folks, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying death is real. It's hit my family and it's hit some of your families this week, and it'll continue to hit our families. It's not something that we can run away from, but we need to understand it. And the truth is, is that here was a man, a great man in the world's eyes, but he died a fool's death. And the first reason of that was simply because He allowed himself to be deceived. And our enemy is out to deceive us. But you don't have to die a fool's death. But you need to recognize and realize what the enemy is doing. We're going to come back and we're just going to look at a few other simple things in there. We need to be ready for it. I think we know all we need to know about it. My heart's just going to quit or this is going to happen or that's going to happen and I'm not going to breathe anymore. That's true. It will some way, somehow. And you may say, well, you know, I know I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven, so nothing else really matters. Well, actually it does matter a lot because our next appointment will be before the Lord in one way or another. And the reality is as we look around us and death invades many, many other camps, we need to recognize what's going on and we need to be prepared for it and we need to plan for it so that when it comes, that we're ready for it. Father, we thank you this morning, Lord, that, Lord, we can go to your word, and even when that we have to face something like death with those that we love and that we care for, we thank you, Lord, for that hope that can be ours in Jesus Christ. But we also realize, Lord, that many people face death in a very foolish way. Many people die a fool's death, one, because they've allowed themselves to be deceived by the enemy. I pray today, Lord, that you'd help us to grasp and to understand the importance of this, grab hope from it, but at the same time, to recognize the importance of those around us, because it's not just us that's facing death, but each and every one of them, one day, we'll all stand before God. I pray that you take and use us. Help us, Lord, 
Help us to recognize the things that are important. Help us, Lord, to be prepared. Lord, death is a sorrowful thing in many ways. Lord, help us to be able to face death in a way that we know that the victory is ours and that those that we leave behind, they know that the victory is ours as well through Jesus Christ. Of course, in his name we pray. Amen. 